Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So this week, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter one, again, following Gabriel as he knocks on the door of Mary's house and has an amazing message for her. And like I said earlier, last week we explored the theme of waiting, but we're going to look this weekend into the theme of fulfillment. We're going to look at how God and how deeply committed God is to fulfilling his promises. And so to do that, I want to just look at the role of prophecy in the Bible for a minute to help us understand and to see how committed God is, how faithful God is to fulfilling his promises in our lives and in the world. And so there are approximately 2,500 prophecies in the entire Bible, accurately foretelling specific events in detail, many years, sometimes centuries before they occur. And of those 2,500, 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled. Now, one scholar put it this way, the odds for all these prophecies having been fulfilled by chance without error is less than one in 10 to the 2,000th power, right? That is one with 2,000 zeros after it. Not one in a million, but one to the 2,000th power. Now, that's incredible odds, right? So to give you a sense of how big that number is, take this on for size. There are one to the 10 to the 24th, not one to the 2,000th, but one times 10 to the 24th stars in the known universe. Think about that. This, think about how completely mathematically unlikely it is that these prophecies could be fulfilled by random chance. And it, it winks at this reality behind everything we look at and feel every day of our lives, that there is a real, rational, supernatural, loving, faithful being behind the scenes, orchestrating everything, working in our life, who is faithful and who fulfills his promises to the world and to each one of us. Isaiah foretells a time when a special child would be born and signify in some mysterious way that God himself would come among us. This is one of those bright stars shining. One of those moments of fulfillment that speaks to us so much about God's character and heart. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. It's hard to know what the Israelites thought this prophecy really meant. This idea that God would be with them. It was mysterious and in some way not fully understood. And we can be sure they did not anticipate what Jesus had to say about the meaning of that prediction and that statement. So 700 years later, this prophecy was fulfilled in the moment that we're about to look at today. I want to read it for you. Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26, it says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I want you to remember that title that the angel gives her highly favored. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her right there. We get that word from Mary at the very end. May your word be fulfilled. And this message is about how for every person who waits and hopes on God, that time and a season of fulfillment will come. It may not come how we expect it. It may not look like what we anticipated, but you can be rest assured. It will be better. It will be greater than anything we could have imagined or produced or acquired for ourselves. Christmas celebrates more than a single moment in the past. Christmas celebrates the beginning of God fulfilling his promise to live not only with us as Emmanuel means, but also in us. And that's what we're going to look at with Mary, that God is not only with us, but as we see through Mary and her own experience, God is coming to live inside of us. I want to help us reflect on what it means for God to come into our lives through this moment between Mary and the angel Gabriel. And so I wanted to help us reflect on what this moment means first for Mary. And then we're going to look at what this moment means for us personally. All right. So let's start with Mary. What does this moment mean for Mary? And it means three things. And first it means that she is highly favored, that the angel comes to her. It's not because God's angry at her. He's come to judge her, condemn her or accuse her. He comes into her life because of his favor and his delight in her. Listen to this verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now the word favor in this passage in the Greek is charis. Now that word charis is translated in the new Testament, either favor or grace, because these two ideas are so inextricably intertwined. So when we look at this moment, it's a moment of grace. So what does that mean for Mary? It means that God is giving her a gift in an honor that she could never deserve, that she could never earn. That's the meaning of grace. That's the meaning of being favored by God, that we receive an honor from God that we could never earn for ourselves. That it is out of God's sheer love and delight in us. Secondly, God always seeks out the humble for his greatest gifts. Look at Proverbs chapter three, verse 34. He mocks proud mockers, it says, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. And that's where we see Mary. Mary is just a young woman, a maiden. In some nobody's heard of town called Nazareth. And it's this nobody person in a nobody place that God chooses to fulfill a 700 year prophecy that would change the face of the earth. 
And we see Mary's humility in verse 38, where she says, I am the Lord's servant. That word dolos in the Greek can also mean slave. And it just shows you just how humble she is before God when she hears this amazing news. Mary answered, and it goes on to say that she replied by saying, may your word to me be fulfilled. What does this say to us? Well, it says that without humility, we can't recognize and receive God's greatest gifts in our life. And that's why that theme of waiting and hope is so important that we talked about last week, because waiting puts us in touch with our mortality, that we're not in control. And it brings us into that humble posture because ultimately we need to be in a humble place to be able to respond and recognize with faith the kinds of fulfillments that God wants to bring into our life because they're not going to be fulfilled in the ways we would have expected. And when God comes fulfilling his promises, it's never under our control. Now, secondly, the second or the second meaning for Mary behind this visitation is new life. If the first is grace, the second is new life. That new life was taking residence within her not just metaphorically, but in a very physical way. Verse 31, it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Now I want to draw your attention to that title that is that the angel Gabriel gives to the baby, son of the most high. Now in verse 35, Gabriel goes on to describe the baby in these terms. So the Holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Now take these two titles, the son of the most high and the son of God. And this ties us back to that statement, that prophecy back in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, where it says, God is with us. It's beginning to give us a sense of what that meant that God would be with us and in what unique way God was visiting humanity through this child. Now, Paul wants to expand our understanding of what this means when he writes in Colossians chapter two, verse nine, for in Christ, for in Christ, Jesus lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Think about that for a minute in the body of Christ was all of the fullness of God. That is just mind blowing. But even more mind blowing is the fact that that means that the fullness of God is dwelling within Mary's body. Now it's an amazing thing that a woman carries a human being within her body. I remember when my, when my wife was pregnant with our children and I would put my hand on her belly and feel our baby's hand or foot. It is, it's just like hard to even wrap your mind around it. A human being could grow within a person. It just shows you how crazy God is and how creative he is. But even more inconceivable, more indescribable is the wonder that the fullness of God was taking up residence in Mary through this baby, Jesus. Now the first is grace. The second meaning for Mary is new life, not just the life of the baby, but the life of God. The third is this, the cost. There's a cost to receive this amazing gift of grace. Whenever God has a gift of grace to give to us, it is never earned. It can never be deserved, but it's always with a cost. Verse 34, Mary replies, 
How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, you can almost just sense in her both perplexion, but this is not intuitive. This is not the way things normally operate. Receiving this favor means she is risking being misunderstood about how she got pregnant because she's a virgin. She's not even married yet. She's betrothed to Joseph. So she shouldn't be pregnant yet. And she's risking being subjected to public shame for having a child out of wedlock and even being rejected by Joseph and losing her soon to be marriage and soon to be husband. There was a lot at risk for Mary to hear this news. This wasn't an easy moment for her to swallow. When we receive God's gifts into our life, when God fulfills our hopes in our life, God comes to us in ways we just don't expect, right? And so God flips us upside down. It's disruptive. He comes in ways we don't expect. And so there's a loss of control that we have to be willing to embrace, which is why we need that humility and why we need to be prepared that there'll be a cost. That's a bit of a paradox, right? God comes into our life with this amazing new life, but it also brings complication. It reminds me of a student back in my UCSD ministry days. There was a Muslim student who came to faith in Jesus. And with all the excitement and the joy and the new life Jesus was bringing into her life, it also meant sacrifice and it also meant tension and even death threats from her family. See, she had family back in the Middle East that when they heard the news that she had become a Jesus follower, they were committed to taking her life. I know this is probably for all of us just totally impossible to even imagine, but this was her reality. She could have looked at this hardship as a sign that God, that this, this moment was not really a blessing from God, but instead she saw it as a cost that was worth the gift that was being given to her. She embraced Jesus even more tightly and she joined the military as a way of just carrying on her life and finding protection, but also finding a way to develop her life in safety from her family. That just causes me to just want to shift gears for us right now and just ask, what does this mean for us? So if this is what it means for Mary, what does it mean for God to live among us, for God to come into our life? So I want to help us reflect on what that means. In the same way, God sent a messenger to Mary. God has sent you a messenger in me. Now I know I'm not some kind of supernatural being like Gabriel. You can just ask my wife or my kids and they will confirm there's nothing supernatural about me, but I'm coming to you with a supernatural message. And that message goes something like this. I want to read to you some of the most powerful words in the Bible. Listen to this. John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Advent is a season to stop and just open ourselves to the wonder of this indescribable 
gift that God has given to all of humanity, that he would not just try to reach into our life from up above in his ethereal heavenly place, but he would come down and clothe himself in human flesh. And for Jesus to do that, he had to be born from the womb of a woman to live the full experience of a human life. And it ends by saying he came full of grace and truth. And that grace and truth was not just for Mary, but it's also for you and me. His grace is that you were created to live an intimate and personal heart to heart relationship with God, knowing God as a heavenly father. He comes as a son to bring us into his sonship, to become children of God, to know him as a loving father, not just some ruler or sovereign, but to know him not just as a creator, but as a loving father who is intimately involved in our life, who is closer to us than our own skin, who wants to take up residence in our life in the most intimate, personal, and inconvenient and invasive way possible. His truth is that apart from this relationship with him, your life falls eternally short of what it was created to be. I want to pause here for a minute. I think in our world, there are so many choices, especially in America. We have the freedom of choice. We can go on the internet and choose what restaurant we want to order from. We can go at a restaurant and order um, five, 10 different types of cheeseburgers. We are a culture that is just full of choices. And we could look at God as just another one of those choices. Oh, he's one option among many. But what Jesus came to say is, no, no, no. He came to say that I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. And there is no way to the father except through me. And that makes us really uncomfortable in our Western American culture, because for us, we find our privilege in our freedom and our freedom is partly defined by having options for about everything under the sun. We can choose our iPhone and whatever colors we want. We just love to have our options And to not have those options for it to be boiled down to one thing just feels restrictive and unfair and even tyrannical. And yet this is actually a gift from God because it narrows the field and focuses us on what's really true. God is not one option among many. You were created to be in relationship with him and to know him. And apart from him, your life can never be what it was made to be but there's also grace overflowing to pick us up in the face of that overwhelming truth. And here's the grace in his death, in Jesus's death, he paved the way for you and I to be forgiven and cleansed of everything that stands between you and God. Every doubt, every reason that you have for not believing in him, Jesus has overcome every barrier internal within you and outside of you that could stand between you and God and having that relationship with him. Jesus paved the way for the greatest gift to be given to you. And all you need to do is be humble enough to admit you want it, that you need it and to receive it. Listen to how Jesus puts it in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus goes on to say, and I will pray. 
that the father, to the father and he will give you another counselor. He's talking about the Holy spirit to be with you forever. Emmanuel, God with us. But listen, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and later he will be in you. So you can see right here that this whole dynamic for Mary, God with us now becoming God in her is like sort of like a microcosm of what God is trying to do in your life. Right now, God is with you through this message. He is with you through the believers that he's put around you in your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, God is with you. He's with you because he created you. He's with you through the beauty of his creation, but that's not the same as God being in you. And I want to invite you to open your heart to this reality, to this possibility that you could live with the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Jesus is saying that when you receive him into your life, like Mary, God comes to dwell inside of you. What if every time we see a pregnant woman this Christmas, we just remember God's desire to live inside of us like that child. And like Mary, this reality changes us forever. The change is radical and it comes at a cost. All right. Some people will rejoice with you over this change in your life. Like Elizabeth later, we'll see Mary go visit her cousin, Elizabeth and Mary and Elizabeth just leaps with joy. No, the, the baby in her womb leaps with joy when she sees Mary. Others will be confused by God in her life. Like Joseph who loves Mary, but doesn't quite understand what's going on for her. Others of us will encounter people who are intimidated and threatened by God's presence in our life. Think about Herod. I don't know if you know this, but later Herod is going to kill all the young boys under the age of three in Bethlehem, trying to stamp out that the birth of this child, Jesus in Bethlehem. I want to encourage you with this. When God comes to live in you, it is always a sign that he is coming to those around you. Just like Mary, when God comes into our life, it isn't just for us. And that is amazing news. So those people around you that are confused or even threatened, don't worry. God's coming for them too. Earlier in this COVID season, I was talking to a buddy of mine who goes to our church and he was sharing about how being home all the time was bringing him more and more in touch with his roommates. And that was good. And also frustrating, right? Just being stuck with people more than normal. And I said, Hey, you know what? We should start praying for your roommates together because if you're around your roommates more, maybe it's because God wants to reach them. We start praying for my buddy's roommates. The amazing thing is that in the course of in just a few months, one of those roommates became a follower of Jesus and right now is being discipled as a follower of Jesus. When God comes into our life, it isn't just for us. It's for those around us. Even if it looks like they want to have nothing to do with him. For those of us who maybe can't really say that we have God in our life. Maybe you say, I believe in God or I like the idea of God, but you can't honestly say that God is in your life. I want to give you a chance to pray a simple prayer that will open your soul to receive Jesus and the presence of God within you. 
And if that's you, I want you to pray this simple prayer, but first I want you to know what it means. Number one, it means you will be forgiven of all your sin for every way in which you've chosen your will over God's will. Secondly, it will mean that you will be filled with his spirit. God will come to live inside of you through the Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about earlier that I read about and will confirm God's love for you in a really personal way. Number three, you will be transformed and God will begin to make you like him. He'll begin to fill you with his beauty and his goodness. Next, it means you will inherit his eternal life. You'll begin to live into the destiny that you were created to live with. And lastly, it means you'll be filled with his glory. And what that means is God is going to begin to shine through you in a way that's going to touch the lives of those around you in a way that will change them forever. And if you would like that, I just want to invite you right now just to pause for a moment. Just close your eyes with me. Maybe just put your hands out like this as a symbol of an openness and receptivity to God and just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I receive you into my life. Just pray this out loud with me. Jesus, I receive you into my life. I accept that your death on the cross was not just for the world, but it was for me. And through your death, you have cleansed me of everything that could separate me from intimate relationship with God. Forgive me for my sin, for the ways I've lived according to my will and not God's. And please fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, it says in the Bible that all of heaven is rejoicing right now. And I just want to encourage you, please don't just do this alone. I want to encourage you to look at the phone number at the bottom of the screen and please text that number. And we're going to get in touch with you because we don't want you doing this alone. We're not created to do this faith journey by ourselves. We have resources and people that want to come alongside you in this new season of your spiritual journey. So please text that number, reach out to us. Let us know what God's doing in your life so that we can come alongside you and support you. And with that, I want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas. This is the weekend right before Christmas, and I'm just so excited. God has more in store for us than we could expect. So open your hearts to him this Christmas for the gifts that you aren't expecting. So Merry Christmas, and I hope to see you at our Christmas Eve service this week. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.